is the Under Center Podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Irish Seahawks show. Dara and Al here with you and we have two special guests for our draft review show today. They are the two stars of the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, Michael Sean Dugar and Chris Kidd. Guys, it's been fantastic. To, it's Sorry, it is fantastic to have you on the show. How are you doing today? Doing pretty good. How are you guys doing? Good. No good. What? Excited. I too am. As a, as, <laughs> excellent. As a, I was going to say, as a uh, as a well-known presenter over on your side of the Atlantic, I'm doing all the better for talking to you guys now here. Um, but we are uh, just actually, uh, Mike, this is actually your second appearance on the Under Center. We had you there um, last, not last season, the season before. Looking forward to a Thursday night game against the Rams, I remember. And that was the infamous mm-hmm. game that Aaron Donald broke Russ's finger, which sort of maybe right. sort of started to change the tides and maybe Pete believing that possibly there was a future outside of Russ. Uh, yeah, the, the ripple effects of that game are definitely real. Because, um, yeah, that is the, the other night that changed everything. I do think, now looking back on it, though, Russ probably is gone regardless. Um, and honestly, they probably get more for him in a trade um, if uh, if he's, like, healthy that whole year because that wasn't, like, a great year for Russ statistically. He finished fine. Uh, I think I think he ended up playing in the Pro Bowl that year too. Um, so he was, like, fine. But, yeah, that, that, that was a huge, huge night. You could feel that too. And it, it kind of forecasted what was to come for the other quarterback. Like, I'll never forget – the crowd shouting Gino, Gino, Gino after he threw that touchdown to DK. That's, that's legit. Of all the, I've only been covering the team since 2017, but of all the moments I've seen, that's probably the wildest one considering like all of the circumstances. They just, this fan base just so quickly moved on from Russ to be like, yeah, we love this Gino guy. Uh, and what do you know that, like I said, that was kind of like a, a good omen uh, going forward. Yeah. There was definitely some, I don't want to say teething problems at the start, but it was that sort of run in games where the Seahawks were close in games with teams. I remember particularly that Sunday Night Football game against the Steelers where they were close for the whole thing. And, you know, it seemed to be it was just uh, either a fumble or an interception just in the last sort of plays of the game, which ended up costing um, the Seahawks a win, which the win that probably Gino deserved for his time when he was stepping in. And then obviously he finally got it in his last game. He stood in for um, against the Jaguars. Where I think when it was, he was 14 for 14 to start the game. Yeah. No, I mean, well, he was, he was 14 for 14 to start that game. Um, and that game, it was kind of crazy for Pete Carroll to kept, keep referencing it the next off season. Cause it was, every time he did, I was just like, Pete, you know, that was against the Jags, right? Like the urban Meyer Jags, like, <laughs> I was thinking, like, I could probably go 14 for 14, at least four for four, you know, to start the game against that version of the Jags. They were just so dysfunctional um, in every way. But credit to Pete, you know, he saw um, he saw something in the accuracy of the passes that Gino had thrown. And that proved to be a, a bit prophetic as well in that, like, Gino ended up leading the league in completion percentage the next year. Um, I think Gino did come up short, you know, in those other games that he started. Um, and now he's in his Players' Tribune piece, he finally admits that he was rusty. Um, I mean, we could all see it. I mean, he did come in hot in that Rams game, like like we just talked about. But the Steelers game and the Saints game, like he did not perform super well. And the, the rest of the team didn't around him in some regards, particularly running the ball, if I remember correctly. Uh, but, yeah, that Jags game, Pete swore by that one. Now, if you go listen to all his old radio interviews and all his press conferences, he just keeps mentioning that he wants Gino to pick up where he left off against the Jaguars. And it just sounded like the craziest shit. Um, in the world, and what it breaking news? Pete's not crazy. Not at all, not at all. But let's uh, let's move forward to twenty twenty three, and let's have a look back at uh, last week's draft. And and Chris, I'll start with you, with you on this one. And I guess we'll start at the top of of the the Seattle class. Devin Witherspoon at number five, a surprise on the night. It's certainly I I was definitely one of those surprised. Um, but looking back, and it probably shouldn't have been surprised. Um, you know, he was one of the top 30 visits from the reports from the visit. The Seahawks fell in love with him, um, in terms, um, 
And I guess when when Will Anderson came off the board at three, maybe they weren't expecting it to be the Texans, but it could have been someone else. I guess Witherspoon was the, I guess, obvious pick then to take at number five, if not a trade back. I'll be honest. I did not see that. I thought it was going to be Jalen Carter for sure. I thought Jalen matched what they needed, especially with the, the D-line. They needed to improve that. We all saw what Pete Carroll had to say after they got beat by the 49ers in the playoffs. He wanted to get some pass rushers, some guys that can create pressure and stop the run. And that was, from that point on, I thought that was going to be 100% of the focus, especially considering how bad the Denver Broncos were. Okay, the Seahawks are going to have a top five pick. Where are they going to land? Oh, they get number five. Perfect. They can take a risk on Jalen Carter, although there's a lot of things that go into Jalen Carter as a person that maybe the Seahawks were thinking, yeah, we don't want this type of character on our team for whatever reason. And they absolutely said, no, we're okay with it. We're going to add depth to our cornerback spot. I thought me and Mike both believe that Mike Jackson played really well, really good football last season. But now you're bringing in someone that's younger and for all intents and purposes could be number two right behind Tariq Woolen as a starting cornerback with the Seahawks. And we actually had Doug Farrar of USA Today, sports editor. He was on with us about two weeks ago, and he actually said, if Jalen Carter is not on the board, the Seahawks would take Devin Witherspoon. As you figured out, Jalen Carter was actually on the board, and the Seahawks still went ahead with Devin Witherspoon and went and got someone that they believe will not only make this defense better, but the secondary now is more comfortable you have Tariq Woolen and you have Devin Witherspoon, who is someone who is physical. He's not afraid to make mistakes, and he's okay with learning. And I think that's what Pete Carroll really loved about this player is his ability to just – he's a dog. That's what I've heard multiple times. He's a junkyard dog. He's physical. He might not be 6'3", have 4'3 speed. He does run a 4'4", 5'11", but he's physical, and he plays the game the Pete Carroll way. And with that being said – when you add up everything, I think I understand why they went with number five and why they took Devin Witherspoon out of Illinois. But I was a little disappointed they didn't go Jalen, but I understand why after reading and just talking to a few people, including Mike, about why they made that decision. Yeah, and um, just to keep going um, on Jalen Carter, um, do you think, um, and I suppose I'll give this to both of you, um, do you think he was ever, like, after they had Carter in for the top 30 visit, do you think he was ever a real consideration there? Do you think they had to, you know, fight that on the day? Because, I mean, let's be honest, Jalen Carter was the most talented player in this draft. So that must have been a hard decision to pass on that, even with all the concerns that were there. Was he was he an option there at five, or do you think they kind of just let that go? Because John did say he kept referencing you know, character multiple times um, over all days of all the guys. So do you think he was really an option there? Uh, not the day of, clearly. Um, <laughs> they didn't take him. Uh, it's probably not even the night before. Um, so I think that the way the board is constructed, uh, at least in Seattle, and I'm sure most teams are similar, is it's a big information gathering exercise. And, and then you get to maybe about a week or two before the draft, and then you have all the minds in there, front office, person, front office personnel, scouts, coaches, um, position coaches, everybody's in there, medical staff, all, blah, 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 and you just put your heads together. And then you just weed the thing down. It's like a funnel. Um, I'm sure that when they did the – when they had everybody there, whenever that was, maybe like a week or two before the draft, Dylan was probably still there. Like that's – I mean, just even bringing him in on a 30 visit is probably – indication of like he had a shot somewhere along there i would guess he got funneled out um i don't know what for what thing in particular at what stage because i know it gets to like the weekend the week the weekend before the draft i think that's when the coaches get kicked out and then i think by the monday of the of draft week i think the scouts are then kicked out and then by tuesday of before the draft it's just pete and john somewhere probably in that between friday before the draft into the pete and john stage everybody we just can't we can't we can't do this that with this amount of money um that we have to give the guy let's go ahead and trade back if 
Will Anderson and and Devin are gone, which is which was a possibility uh, at that point. See, I don't I don't know if it was the the uh, racing incident or stuff they heard from talking to people at Georgia, whatever it was. But I do think like if you look at the if you just say uh, he uh, got arrested, he's off the board. I don't think that's they don't. I know they don't do that simply. It's more of so like I'm saying that it's it's a process, and at some point you get crossed off. Whether like, some some guys get crossed off because they got a heart condition or a bad knee or a bad back or or whatever, or they punched their position coach in high school and like nope, you know. So whatever it is, uh, I think I would guess Jalen got funneled out anywhere between probably last like anywhere between six to two days, two to six days before the draft, somewhere in that range. That'd be my guess. Yeah, and I would also echo that. And not to mention his pro day, showed up overweight. Just a lot of things that the Seahawks were thinking, okay, yeah, I don't know if we can trust this guy. Sure, he's an elite talent, but how far are we willing to go? We saw that with Malik Madow. They went out, drafted a guy, had high hope for him. And as Mike always says, went out and broke his face, all right? <laughs> they didn't understand. They didn't know how Jalen Carter's situation would unfold. And now he's with a team that was just in the Super Bowl in the Eagles. And we're all going to see what Jalen Carter's about when the Seahawks play them later on this season. So we're going to get to see, is Jalen Carter going to be available? How much of a problem will he be on this D-line? We will find out all these answers this season. So maybe the Seahawks missed out on it, but I do think getting Devin Witherspoon, that was huge. And I, I understand that Jalen Carter might have had a lot of red flags, but hopefully it doesn't come back to bite them in the ass because there have been players that Mike has gone on on the pod, on our podcast, Seahawks Man to Man, where he said they had this player, whether it be Travis Kelsey, and they drafted someone else. There are multiple players and times where the Seahawks have had an opportunity to get an elite player, but they went out and did something different. And maybe you look back and go, damn. But, yeah, I mean, you can do that through any draft, but I think this one might be even bigger just because of the need that they had for – the defensive line. Yeah. Well, we'll see. And, and I guess you kind of hope maybe it's going to be a Josh Rosen situation where he says, well, he's picking like 90 says eight teams just made the biggest mistakes of their life. Hopefully the Seahawks aren't going to be in that situation where they actually do believe it was one of the biggest mistakes, not drafting Jalen Carr because they will know this year because they do, they are on the, uh, on the schedule, I think in Philly as well to play them. So, it will be interesting I thought it to was see. A home game, no? Is it? I thought it was a wait. You is know it? what? I got the computer right in front of me. I think it is a home game. Double check. It's a home game. Was it Cowboys is away? Washington, I think, is at home. So yeah, Giants away, and Philly is is going to be in Lumen Field. You're right. Sorry, my mistake. Yep. Um, one player actually I want to ask about that could be affected with the drafting of, of Devin Witherspoon. And, and I know you mentioned Mike Jackson, but it's also maybe the future of Trey Brown. Mm. Um, he's someone that obviously when he first came in and in two seasons ago, had a really good impact on the team. Obviously he had that injury, didn't get the feature much last year. Now you see him go down the depth chart a little bit. Is there a possibility that we could see him maybe move more inside Nick at the nickel position? Maybe, challenging with, with with Kobe Bryant a little bit or um do we do we think maybe that he could possibly get moved on uh yeah it's always a possibility not just because of the size thing I know he's a shorter dude um just because sometimes um coaches either it's usually position, position switches can work in a couple ways um usually it's the coach or the it's the coach going to the player and saying hey if you want to play move or, you know, um, some, or the coach goes to – or the player goes to the coach sometimes, like, man, why am I playing? It's like, yeah, I mean, I hear your frustrations. Here, how about this? If you if you really want to get on the field, how about you move to insert position here? Uh, I don't think – I think it's a little too early um, for that. Also, I think that uh, – to, to guarantee that that's going to happen, I mean, I mean, too early. The other thing is, and to, from a depth chart standpoint, they usually like to have four outside corners. So if you got Mike, Jack, Devin, Trey, and Tariq, you're fine. You don't really need to move anybody. Um, I mean, if but again, if like Trey's like, hey, well, let me go battle with Kobe then. I mean, it's like, okay, sure, go for it. Um, maybe that's a, a a better path to getting on the field. But he would still be behind the eight ball because Kobe's played nickel for a year now. And I 
don't believe Trey's ever done it. I think he was strictly uh, outside of Oklahoma. Um, so you never know. But I think there, that's definitely a plausible scenario where, yeah, after maybe maybe it's a midway through camp thing. Like Kobe didn't switch to nickel until after the mock game at Lumen Field last year. Uh, it was like August 6th or something. And, and then the coach was like, you should play nickel. Um, and then, boom, there you go. Maybe something similar like that happens uh, when the depth chart shakes out. Uh, but things things change so fast. You just never really know. Guys get hurt. You know, I was actually looking at a um, – I did like a post-draft depth chart last year. I was looking at it for the first time because I, I used the same template to write my most recent one. And I looked at the cornerbacks that had projected, and they were um, Artie Burns, I think, and Sidney, Sidney Jones. No, it was Trey Brown and like Artie Burns or something. Trey Brown's and Sidney Jones. And it just kind of shows you how things can just, just change. I mean, week one of camp, the two starting corners were Artie Burns and Sidney Jones. So – yeah. yeah, so I think the trade thing is possible. Um, I don't know how well it would go, um, just because nickel's really hard. It's hard as hell, as Kobe Bryant would tell you. But yeah, I could see a scenario where after a while, if he's not getting on the field, it's like, yo, coach, what I gotta do? And then Carl Scott says something like, play nickel. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that Artie Burns one was a weird signing last year. Uh, I think it was game day scratches or game day inactives for most of the season as well had healthy scratches just didn't work out in Seattle for one way or a reason which was a shame because that was a, a free agent sign that I was excited to see when he was coming over with Sean Desai from Chicago and everything I thought it was going to work out but obviously um, it didn't now the one thing that we normally see as, as Seahawks fans when it comes to a first round of a draft is a trade back um, which we did not see this year Um do you know your if do you know if there was any possibilities to be trading either out of five or twenty or I know there was a trade later on in, in, in the draft on day two, but just from the way John Schneider said leading into it that he wanted to accumulate more picks for next year's draft and he only got one extra now from, from this past weekend. Was there Obviously, there's discussions, but was there sort of any advanced discussions that maybe just didn't um, didn't get over the line in the end? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, I'm pretty sure. Well, the way that John operates is he just wants to be prepared for everything. You only get so much time on the clock, and it feels like a long time we're all watching the draft. But if you're in there making the decisions and relying on another team's GM or position coach to pick up the phone and complete the terms and check what draft picks everyone has to, to deal and swap and stuff. It could, uh, time could eat up pretty, pretty quickly. Let John tell it as if, if Devin and one or, or one other guy were there at five, they weren't moving back. And so these guys were a little worried that Arizona was not going to be able to trade back out of three and then take Devin, uh, which probably, you know, could have happened if they'd have got stuck. Maybe they just take Paris Johnson uh, anyway, but who knows, but they were a little worried about that and had some type of deal in place already if, like, in the event of, yo, Devin's gone, our other guy's gone, who was probably Will Anderson. But Devin's gone, Will Anderson's gone. We're not taking the quarterback, let's call whoever, uh, and move back, um, whoever that would have been. That was I, I see that as a realistic scenario at, at five. At 20, probably something very similar. At 20, they're probably just hoping that someone who they had a first-round grade on falls there. Because there's no way in hell John had 20 first round grades on these guys. No way. Um, I, I don't think he's ever had 20 first round grades in any draft that he's been running the Seahawks. So this was draft 14. So I've been very surprised in this year's draft, which he basically said wasn't even as good as next year's draft. He said it already, uh, which is crazy. That shows you how low people are uh, in the league on this year's class. So uh, I think I think that they were probably hoping, yo, if someone who we have a first round grade on is there at 20, then we just take them. We ain't even got to call nobody. Um, which made Jackson Smith and Jigba the easiest decision, probably the easiest decision of the draft for those guys to get a dude that after John watched him at pro day at Ohio state, he left there being like that dude ain't making it to 20 because he's like that. So to see him there at 20, I don't think there was any legit, like they probably had some frameworks in mind with some people who wanted to trade up, um, I'm sure like I, don't, I think some teams did end up coming up. So whoever did end up coming up was probably on the phone with them, Seattle beforehand. But once Jackson got there, I was like, nah, that we just we just got the best receiver in the draft at 20. Yeah, we're going we're going to stay here. That's that's my kind of feel for the thought process, kind of reading between the lines before the draft. 
and what John has had to say afterward. And Chris, um, while we're, we're talking about, about 20, of course they do go with Jackson Smith and Jigba, the, a guy that um, you've sort of been, you wanted the Seahawks to sort of draft on the podcast leading up to it and, and they get their guy. And it's that true, you know, slot threat that they've been missing for the past few years. Absolutely, man. This guy is going to fit right in. As Pete Carroll said, I'm not trying to word for word say what he said, but it's basically he can come right in and be effective as a slot guy. And that's exactly what they're getting with Jackson Smith and Jigba. He is an elite route runner, and I think he's just going to create havoc for DBs trying to cover him. Not to mention the Seahawks already have DK and Tyler Lockett, who year in and year out have proven to be a problem as a duo. Now it's going to be a trio. Mike and I have mentioned the Cincinnati Bengals and what they have over there with their receiving core. The Seahawks now are in that discussion of having three deep, three receivers that can make plays anytime. If you're going to double DK, that leaves Tyler Lockett and Jackson Smith and Jigba one-on-one with their matchup. If you're going to bracket them, however you're trying to cover, there's always an opportunity for the Seahawks to take advantage of that. And we saw how Shane Waldron ran the offense last season, and it was pretty effective with Geno Smith. Now you add in someone who's going to be dynamic and explosive. He might not be the fastest guy, but within short area quickness, I think he is something the Seahawks have needed, especially have wanted for several seasons. Marquise Goodwin, where do you sign, Mike? Do you remember off top? Cleveland? I think you're right. Yeah, Cleveland. He signed with Cleveland. Mm -hmm. He had flashes of that. We saw that against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We saw it against Detroit. But now I think we're going to see that more consistently throughout the season. Obviously, hopefully they Jackson can stay healthy. But that's where you're going to see week in and week out. And if you have that, there's no reason why this Seahawks offense can't be top 10 in the league and light things up. And Geno Smith hits all those incentives. And then at the end of the year, he gets a nice bag. And we're celebrating because maybe the Seahawks are heading to the Super Bowl. You name it. This offense definitely got better with just going out and drafting Jackson Smith and Jigba. I really like this fit. And I think, I think it's just going to work out. I really see it being a positive, and I'm excited to see from day one what Jackson Smith and Jigba brings to this Seahawks offense for sure. Yeah. Um, let's move on then to day two. Um, like I mentioned, we get the customary sort of Seahawks trade back. Uh, we get two picks, um, probably the first pick of need, you could say, in the draft. Obviously, they do need players, but probably positional need with, with – um, with sorry, um, Derek Hall, um, but then also running back, um, Zach Charbonnet, um, probably not popular with the fans initially, but when I look at it, you know, it is something of need, especially you need that sort of true dual threat running back, um, when you come if you want a dynamic offense. If you look at, say, the Chiefs. They have they had McKinnon and Pacheco, you know, the Packers, obviously Jones and Dylan, and the 49ers, of course, with, with McCaffrey and uh, Elijah Mitchell. But it's, um, I, I start with you first on this one, Mike. Sorry, your, your initial reactions to the Seahawks getting a, a running back in, in round two for the second year in a row. Yeah, I, I didn't like the, the process there. Um, I do agree with the need, they only had two running backs on the roster. So I was like, well, you, you definitely got to draft one, maybe even draft two. I was definitely okay with that. Um, they've had drafts where they've drafted, uh, taken multiple running backs. I think the year Marshawn re- retired, they took three. Um, I don't think any of them ended up being any good, but maybe one of them was Alex Collins, I think. Uh, but for the most part, you know, it's when Doug retired, he took three receivers. Like I understand drafting uh, guys high for, for need. The issue is when I looked at this class of running backs, I thought that there was depth later in the draft to fill the same need. It's not to say that, like, Zach isn't good. I just think the difference between Zach and, like, there's a guy like Tajay Spears from Tulane who went in the 80s, I want to say. Uh, I don't think the gap was that wide based on what else Seattle needed, where I think the gap between some of the defensive tackles they passed on at that point um, was pretty significant. And I'm sure Seattle probably agrees a little bit because after, this, after three defensive tackles got took after the Zach pick, um, they traded out. And they're like, oh shit. Well, we don't have any. We don't have any top 100 grades on these guys left. Um, so it's like there's something to 
the value of it. Uh, I felt the same way last year about Ken. Um, and it's not like this old takes exposed thing that people may think it is. When they drafted Ken, I was like, hmm, I think they should have taken a tackle or a corner and waited till later to get like Damian Pierce or um, Alger from the Falcons. Um, now, Seattle ended up getting Kobe, Tariq, and Abe Lucas later. Um, but I mean, go look at Damian Pierce's numbers from last year. He was going to lead the league in rushing um, by, by a good margin, I believe. If he's, if he, uh, I think he ended up getting shut down later in the year because the Texans stunk. Uh, but then, like, go look at Alger from the Falcons was just as productive, not as explosive, but just as productive uh, as Ken and, be- and better in some metrics. And I think t- Alger was a fifth round pick, and then Damian was like a fourth round pick. So the, the logic still stands. It isn't it, it, the reason I'm not a fan of the process isn't just because Zach sucks. Like Zach's exactly what they need. I just feel like they needed other shit that they could have gotten there that they could not have gotten later. Um, I just finished writing a, a piece on their defense, interior defensive line situation. And I think the three, it'll be interesting to watch. Like we were talking about earlier, you can always say the Seahawks didn't take this dude. So now we follow his career compared to the guy they did take. They would do that quite a bit. Um, this year, it'll be interesting to follow. Um, Dylan Carter, not too worried about that one, but follow what happens with Jervon Dexter, who I believe went to the Bears, the pick after Seattle took Zach. Um, Zach Pickens from South Carolina went to the Bears, actually, um, like nine picks or 11 picks after Seattle took Zach. And then Byron Young from Alabama went to the Raiders with pick 69. And then Seattle traded back 14 picks, traded out of the round all entirely 14 picks later. So it'd be interesting to see how valuable those three defensive tackles are relative to the value that Zach brings compared to some of the other backs who went later. I like Kendra Miller at a TCU as well for, as a running back. I forget where I know he went to the Saints. I just don't know where. Uh, I know he went later though. Tajay Spears. Um, there was there was a few other dudes that I, I thought were could give you could fill the need that Seattle had. Um, Chris Rodriguez from Kentucky um, was was another one. There was an Auburn kid in there. Zach Evans from Ole Miss. There's a ton of dudes at running back that I thought, like, all right, it can fill this need. Whereas I knew once they passed on, like, Byron Young and Keanu Benton from Wisconsin I kind of and Mozzie Smith in the first round went to the Cowboys, I was like, ah, oh, damn. They might be screwed at defensive tackle. And then after Puna Ford and Al Woods get scooped up, everybody's texting me and tweeting me, like, damn, Mike. Are we screwed at defensive tackle? And I'm kind of like, yeah, a little bit, but you got running backs. So, you know, I guess I guess they got what they want at the end of the day. But no, I wasn't a huge fan. I don't mind this pick um, as much as a lot of people do. I mean, first of all, uh, John said as much. They got sniped on both picks uh, on day two. So um, Derek Hall and Zach Charbonnet were not their first guys for those picks. Um, And second, like Charbonnet brings a lot that Kenneth Walker doesn't like you saw a lot last year. Kenneth Walker was like really hesitant um, in a lot of, in a lot of situations. Zach Charbonnet will really like hit those holes. He could play, you know, a lot of inside zone um, some power and he's really good at that stuff. Um, and as well, I think it's really good to kind of limit your running backs touches. Kenneth Walker wasn't healthy for a lot last year. And if you can limit their touches and keep both of them healthy, I think that's a great thing to have. And then on top of the offensive linemen that they got, Jackson Smith and Jigba, I think this offense can be really scary this year. They might have to be. <laughs> they don't have a defensive <laughs> tackle. <laughs> they might have to be. Um yeah, sort of day three then was sort of a day you could you could say that the Seahawks addressed a lot of needs on both sides of the ball. Um, they did pick up a, a defensive tackle uh, in the end, um, Cameron Young. Um, they also got a, another defensive end in um, Michael Morris, and then uh, probably if things obviously go to plan, uh, a new starting center as well. Um, from Michigan, uh, Olu Oluwatami. Um, what 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 did you make of the pick there? Considering with a lot of mock drafts and look, I myself included had probably the Seahawks using one of those second round picks on uh, Schmidt probably to to be for the center um, that we would have preferred. But um, getting it later in in the draft, what did you make of that? You want this one, Chris? 
Oh, yeah, that's fine. I thought it was a really good value pick. I thought, first of all, I didn't know Oluwatimi was going to be sitting there still. So that was kind of surprising. But the Seahawks were thinking, he's still available? Let's take him. He is definitely someone that I think will be starting. Mike and I have expressed that on our show, Seahawks Man to Man. We have definitely expressed we believe he will likely be starting. I think he's just the perfect fit. And I think the run game could use him. Use a center that's able to snap it and get upfield, creating holes for Ken and now Zach Charbonnet. I think this is the the match and the fit that they have needed. And hopefully he can be here for the long haul. The Seahawks have had issues with center for a couple of seasons now. And I think Olu has a chance to really set it in stone as what we saw with Charles Cross and Abe Lucas, two guys that have come in and they're going to be pillars at their position for the next years to come. And that's what I'm looking at and seeing with Olu. And to get him in the fifth round at 154 overall, I'm wondering why he slid so far. I thought he was probably going to go in the fourth round, but when the Seahawks were there and they took him, I couldn't help but clap my hands and say, all right, center position has been acknowledged, and I expect good things from Olu. I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes. And – Hopefully Evan Brown competes. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Evan comes in and he actually is a starter. That's great too. But now there's a competition and I like what I'm seeing and what the Seahawks addressed with the fifth round 154 overall. Um, And just to take it back a bit there to the defensive line. Um, it's it's interesting. They they got a couple guys, but the the interior is still a little bare. They're doing a little moving and shaking. And as you said, Al and Puna are both gone, unfortunately. Um, I understand they're not like they're obviously going with youth, and they don't want to um, overpay vets or whatever. But um, what do you think they do there? Do you think they stick? in like the three four that they're trying to do or with what seems to be mostly lighter guys um across the defensive line now do you think they go back to four three and play a lot more bear or something like that you go ahead mike i see you're thinking over there uh because i i do think that when we talk about what a what their what teams base fronts are there's always different types of fronts within their, your base. You know, it's like having too high be like your base um, alignment for your secondary, but that doesn't mean you're always running cover two. You can run cover six out of that. You run cover four out of that. You run cover eight out of that, um, cover seven um, as well. And then spin into, you know, cover cover three. And then there's variations of cover three. You know, Seahawks ran a lot of cover nine last year. And that's all with the the base being split, a split safety kind of structure the same thing applies up front too like your base can be kind of a um uh an, an odd front like that but there's so many variations you can play out of it which is probably what they're going to have to do i mean you saw last year they had a lot of like um really only two down linemen uh fronts it's kind of it looks like more like a four two five ish type of thing um where you got let's say they got draymond jones down and then jaron reed down chenna stand up on one side Daryl Taylor, a boy, st- stand up on the other side. And then you got bring Kobe in uh, as your fifth DB next to Devin Bush and Bobby. Like you could do that and you don't necessarily need a 350 pound dude in the middle. Um, it'd be nice to have one, uh, particularly on those early downs. Seattle struggled to stop the run out of the type of alignment that I'm talking about. But to be fair, they struggled to stop the run out of every alignment that they ran last year. So it may not even really really matter that much um like what alignment you're in but i do think they're just going to keep their base front and just scheme around it to fit the guys that they have they do have guys who can play over the center um they, you know miles adams can do it jaron reed can do it that is what cameron young or cam young that is what he does um they grabbed a a rookie free agent defensive tackle that could be interesting robert cooper out of florida state uh, if i had to pick a undrafted free agent to make the roster. If I had to list, like make a ranking, Cameron, or excuse me, Robert Cooper would probably be high up there. So yeah, you could see a scenario where they keep their front scheme around just having a true nose um, as often as they can. And then roll with when they do need a nose roll with Cam Young and even undrafted free agent. Cause I mean, 
I can see why these guys would want could feel comfortable doing that. I mean, you look at just last year, right? They're starting nose tackles where Al Woods, who was a fourth round pick, I believe he was pick 123 in his draft, um, same as uh, Cam, and you have Brian Monet, an undrafted free agent. So they've they've had it before. And then you know, the other backup noses were Puna Ford, undrafted free agent, Miles Adams, undrafted free agent. So it's not a team that feels like it has to go spend on a nose. You know, they, they obviously liked cam, but that pick one twenty three is not spending to me, quote unquote. Right. They have, I'd have to go look, but they probably have the fewest um, amount of uh, dollars spent on nose tackle this year in the entire league. I, I can go look probably that's, I feel good about that because they're really only paying cam young <laughs> fourth round pick salary. That ain't nothing. Um, so I, I, th- I think that they keep the base of the structure and just work around it. That's the, one of the benefits of having that structure is that it does give you a bunch of flexibility to do other shit based on the body types and the skill sets of the dudes on your roster. And speaking of flexibility, I looked it up. Pro Football Reference, they ranked all the teams that have been blitzing. And I don't remember what episode we talked about it, Mike, but I remember they were they were pretty down on the list. But once the season ended, I was like, let me just look it up again. And they blitz only at a rate of 15% of the time. Second to last, only behind the New York Jets. Now, if, if the corner situation works out with Devin Witherspoon and they believe they got two elite corners, they got a solid secondary with the healthy Jamal, Julian Love, and Quandre Diggs, they're going to blitz more. And shooting gaps, sending linebackers, extra linebackers, and that could blow up the runs. Also, that means you're going to have a lot of one-on-one coverage in the backfield so I'm bringing the blitzing up is because I think they're going to blitz a little bit more. If you ask me now, I don't know how much. But I would guess they will not be second to last in the NFL when it comes to blitz rate, especially when they go out and get Devin Witherspoon, who is projected to be the starter alongside Tariq Woolen. I think that just makes your secondary that much better, and that leads to more coverage sacks, which more coverage sacks means, okay, we want to put pressure on you. We could send Devin Bush and Bobby and try to get a sack, or we could – Rush, rush the gaps and stop guys in the backfield, even though the D-line might not be bolstered like they wanted it to. So I really think that that percentage is going to jump up quite a bit and they'll be maybe league average, hopefully, especially if Devin's going to be the guy and Tariq Woolen just takes another step in the secondary and you have a healthy Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs alongside Julian Love. So I just wanted to add that as well. Yeah, and you kind of um, answered half of a follow-up question there. Um the Seahawks now have a lot of depth uh, at edge. Uh, they have tons of guys there that they can use. And they also brought in a uh, pass rush specialist, uh, BT Jordan, who is really high re- highly regarded uh, by a lot of people. Um, do, you, do you see any meaningful changes there in the pass rush and how they do things? Um, and, you know, some guys taking maybe some bigger jumps going into their second and third years. Um, that's a good question. I'm not, I'm not really sure. I don't, I don't expect like a, a super huge jump just cause I mean, they've had guys work with this guy before. Like I had, I was, uh, for example, not for example, I guess, but like when they got, when they hired him, I think Bruce Feldman, my colleague is who broke that, but they were hiring him. You know, uh, BT used to work. I think his real name, first name is Brandon. Brandon used to work uh, for Michigan state. And I think Bruce sent me his number, like, hey, if you want to, like, do a story or confirm it, here's, you know, here's his number. I'm like, cool, thanks. And I went to go text him. And I had already had this text thread with Brandon from, like, three years ago. Uh, for, I think he worked with, like, Puna and Shaquem and maybe Alton Robinson or something. Like, like he, anyway, the point is he had already been working with these guys, not in the same capacity, like, full time, like he was just at Michigan State. But I, I bring that up to say that, like, there's only so much – like a guy's got to, a guy's got to want, want to at some point, you know, a lot of it is like internal motivation and, and push. Um, like, cause I know Clint and his guys have been take, teaching these guys techniques and having pass rush plans and everything. So I don't think, I think there are going to be better. Um, what you'll probably see hopefully is just more consistency. If, 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 if that's the only thing Brandon helps with, that would be great. Cause like their sack numbers actually aren't that bad from last year. Uh, I think they were seventh. And like Chris mentioned, they didn't blitz. So it was basically relying on guys to get home. Um, but when you go back and chart some of those sacks, they had a lot, they had like huge gaps. It would be like one game, they have like a ton. Like I think against Arizona as a team, they had like 10. 
like that in two games against the Cardinals. That was like 40, maybe it was like 20% of their sacks were again two games against the Cardinals or something like that. So can they be more consistent? They didn't touch Tom Brady. I don't know how often they got to some of the other people. Like, I don't know if they know if they got to Mahomes, maybe they did once or something like that. They got to Brock Purdy like once um, in the game in that Thursday night game. So more consistency would be the thing I'm looking, I'm looking for. I don't think anyone's just going to go from being a nine and a half sack guy to a 15 and a half because they hired the pass rush specialist. I do think it'll be more stuff that we can't, can't easily quantify, like just guys being more consistent, like a Daryl Taylor. Um, there was parts of the season last year. We just feel like Daryl wasn't doing anything. Um, and then he kind of came on a little later. Carlos Dunlap was like that in 2021. It's like, where is this guy? And then next thing you know, he leads the league in sacks from like week 15 on or something like that in 2021. So I think the consistency would be the thing. If they were asking me what I think is that getting these guys to be consistently productive. Um, obviously not going to have a sack every game, but as we all know, watching every game last year, it just felt like, damn, where was the pass rush? Damn, where was the pass rush? Damn, where's the pass rush been for the month of November? Um, you know, you can't have those type of lulls uh, next year. Um, so hopefully the uh, Brandon fixes that part, if nothing else. And, Mike, you're a one-off. They finished eighth overall in the NFL with 45 sacks. So you're right there. Does somebody else also have 45? Uh, they're tied with the Bucks at 45. So technically seven tied. Yeah, so. yeah I think they're tied for seventh, which yep. is like, yeah, so it's probably no ninth. I think that's – as I think that's how how it shook out, which is it's not bad, but yeah, it's it's a it's a decent number, but like it was not. Like, I, I'd have to go back and look at specifically how many they got against the Cardinals. Like beating up on the Cardinals backup O line is not totally indicative of how good <laughs> your uh, your pass rush is or isn't. So, and at the, it, the eye test matches that we all we all saw the games last year. Plenty of games where like the pass rush stuff, like that was not. It's not like breaking news to anybody. Yeah, definitely. Um, I just before we we finish up, then looking sort of ahead to obviously we can't look too far ahead to the season, but I, I'll ask the question anyway, and it's open to both both you guys, and and I'll I'll open it to you up there as well. After now free agency, what has happened there? After now with the draft, um, how much further do you think now the Seahawks are? in the process of obviously the ultimate goal is win the Super Bowl. We don't think they're there yet, but are they any closer to, I say reasonable player, any closer to getting ahead of San Francisco after what's happened this off season so far? I would say, if you ask me right now, I would say, Mike, do you remember the score with the loss of San Francisco? What was like 41, that final? Like 41 to 23 or something like that. So if they played again today with the roster, I think it'd be, a closer game. Do they win it? That is the biggest question. I don't know if they win the game still. Obviously, it would be nice if the Seahawks won that game, but I think they did get better. I think they are getting closer, but it really relies on this draft, to be honest with you. Mike, I think, said it on our on our pod, he was basically alluding to the fact that there's probably three, three guys that he thinks going to start. If those three guys are starters and they are productive, that's where the difference is going to be made. And in a playoff game against the Niners, okay, maybe they can defeat the Niners and now go up against the Eagles, who I'm pretty sure are going to be back in the hunt there for a Super Bowl. So I think they're really close with the Niners right now. The quarterback situation, I think the Seahawks obviously have the best quarterback in the NFC West, without question there. Barring health with Matt Stafford, I think Geno is better. And that alone, you have the quarterback, the defense is – Still looking for consistency. They got a guy at corner and Devin Witherspoon who can make up quite a bit. The D-line, we're going to find out what they're all about. There's still some questions, but I do like offensively what they plan on doing this season. And I think defensively, they're getting a little better. And you put it all together, they lost by almost 20. I think now they cut it in half. Okay, maybe it's a 10-point swing right now with the draft picks. And some of the acquisitions they made with Julian Love, we'll see how this team actually, what this team is all about before we know it. So, I don't know if they've leapfrogged the Niners, but my goodness, they are right there for sure. Um, I I think if they played the Niners today, they kick their ass because the Niners don't have a quarterback. 
<laughs> oh no 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 the Niners have Sam Donald I think so never mind never mind. right the Niners have Sam Donald I believe they do uh, yeah. yeah they do yeah okay yeah uh, they do yeah 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 never mind never mind then I thought they only had Brock and uh, and um, Trey never mind but, yeah the Niners are probably still still win because as we saw in the Panthers game Sam Donald doesn't have to be that great you know for uh, a team the Seattle team to to lose to them uh, I do think. I like to I like to reiterate this point. We talk about like championship contention. Every team should view their contention status just in the context of their own conference. Don't think it really matters what who the best teams are in the other conference because if you get to the Super Bowl, you only have to play one of them, right? And by then you're in the Super Bowl, so you're probably good. Um, so like I'm, I'm ignoring when people when you look, when I look at the Seahawks contention status, um, I ignore you know the Chiefs and Bills and gang, like they don't got to be better than all those three teams. You only got to really just beat one on a random ass Sunday in February on a neutral field, right? If you really want to be champion and in that context. So you look at it, just the NFC, the NFC is pretty open. Um, I think the Eagles are still the cream of the crop. Like I think that the talent drain they had at their coaching staff will probably matter quite, quite a bit. Um, the linebacker situation is kind of interesting as well, but their GM, Harry Roseman is just a sicko who has been having a really good um, off season to keep the guys that they kept, um, I do think losing Chauncey Gardner-Johnson will be a big deal for them, um, but I like how they drafted, like some of the other free agent moves. Uh, I think they've been they've been doing really good. After that, though, it's 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 really open. I do think Dallas has a good roster and they're a well coached team. I know the Cowboys fans don't think they're a well coached team, but I do. Um, the Niners obviously are going to be a well coached team if healthy. You know they always are, um, but I do think that Seattle is going to be able to put up points. With just about everybody. Like, I think offensively, they got better. Um, I think that uh, Austin was, like, a really solid center last year, but the ceiling wasn't super high. I do think the part of that was just, like, a size thing. I don't think Austin's – have you guys ever seen pictures? Like, Russell Okun just posted one. Like, linemen retire and then get small as hell, you know, yeah. particularly offensive linemen. I bet you we see a picture of Austin in, like, a year from now, and he's, like – 205 like, it just seems like a dude who just some of these guys are not just naturally supposed to be 300 you know like they got to do a lot of work austin seemed like one of those guys i feel like they've had some linemen like that in the past like even you could look at picture of justin Britt, go to his instagram it does not look like a dude who's supposed to stay at like 320 to 330 or whatever centers can be in the league he seems like he's more naturally in the twos george fant it's like that uh, as well i know he's not a center but um so i do think having some like nat- natural guys i think olu and Evan are both kind of more naturally uh, built for that. So I do think the offense got better just um, in general. I think Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be the best third receiver they've ever had. Um, I think uh, the tight end group's still solid. I've always felt that that group's fine. Not like super great, but it's fine. Running back room is is fine. I really am a big Kenny McIntosh guy. He's an example of the type of player I think they could have got later as well. Um, maybe not wait to the seventh to adjust running back, but if he was like one of their day – Early day three picks, I would have liked that. The defense, though, I think they just did a lot of shuffling to just stay about the same, you know. And I, part of part of me with that is I was a really big, uh, big Al guy. Like I really think that like Big Al was consistently one of their best players on either side of the ball for the last like two years. Like the stuff that he was doing week in and week out was just it was making things go. And you know how hard it is to make plays in the backfield at that weight. You're like you're he's three fifty taking on pretty much 700 pounds of man every snap for the most part, you know, and he's still back there making plays, um, rushing the passer, uh, slamming down Taysom Hill on all that gimmicky wildcat shit. Like I think losing Al is a big deal. I think Shelby was actually a really good run defender last year. Um, you look at some of the big runs that they gave up last year. You see Shelby on the backside of those runs, like the team not running to his side, like the, the Raiders, Overtime run as an example. I think Shelby was on the backside of that play. Um, and then it's the other side of the play that gives up the, the big shit. So I do think they they lost guys who I do think were good players. And while Draymond could be an upgrade and Jay Reed could be like an upgrade, I do think the losing Al, losing Puna and Shelby and Q Jeff to just replace them with Mike Morris, Cameron Young, Draymond, and Jaron. I feel like we just changed the names and the contracts, but didn't necessarily move up or down. We just we just move some names around. Same thing with swapping Devin Bush and Bobby for Co- Cody and, and Jordan. I feel like we just move some names around. Um, Ryan Neal, Julian Love, 
names around. Um, Devin probably upgrade over Mike Jack, um, but who knows? You know, Mike Jack played really well last year. It won't be easy for a rookie to have that type of season. So just because it's hard to play corner in the league as a rookie. So, yeah, I think offense got better. Defense, hopefully it is better. But, like, on paper, it just seems like we switched a lot of names and contracts and stuff to get to, you know, a similar place with just much lighter bodies, you know. Out, oh, yeah, and losing Monet. I think we'll be out most of the year. So, yeah, they 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 shrunk a little bit on D. Got faster but shrunk. So we'll see how that that trade-off works out. And it didn't work out so well when they said we're going to get faster and let go of KJ. So I don't know, Mike. It's a little scary. Yeah, that's the thing about <laughs> – we talked about this when they let go of KJ, I think. Or maybe it was when they let go of Bobby. Like getting – Everyone just says the word, get, oh, the team got younger. It's like, well, that's great. Did you get better? The goal in football is not to have the youngest team in the world. It's to have the best team in the world, independent of age. Like, old guys can play well, too. You know, Al was like I was like 35, I think. And, again, he was like one of the best defenders. To let, he was one of the best players on either side of the ball the past couple of years, and he was like the oldest guy on the team, him and Nick Bloor. So I don't I, – I do think we got to be careful as a media fan and whatever, just blindly always saying that in the offseason. Like, oh, they got younger. They went younger. Who gives a shit? Do they get better? Like you need to be better at your positions, not just younger is not inherently better. You know, the linebacker situation was a great example. Got younger, a linebacker. Well, that's great. Run defense stuck. And Bobby was great in LA. So kudos to you know having youth. That's not a knock on Jordan and Cody, but it's more so the discourse. Like young is inherently associated with improvement, and that's not the it's not the case. Like I don't know why we apply that uh so blindly. Um, so yeah, we just gotta stop doing that. Not us in here in general, but yeah, broadly, I feel like that happens a lot. Yeah, they, they went younger. Well, cool. Can those guys cover? Can they tackle? Can they block? Give a damn how young a guy is. Is he good at football? Because you know you, you don't get the benefit of the doubt because your team was young. Look how frustrated everyone was with Clint Hurt last year. Team was young, so you guys lost. What is that? Give a damn, right? Give forty-five points to the Lions. Care, care how many young guys you're playing, go win, right? So it's a zero-sum game at the end of the day. So, yeah, like we just got to keep that in mind when we talk about whether the team got better or worse just because they, you know, got younger or older. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. We we closed the gap for sure uh, on, on the 49ers, but um, I, I don't know uh, that we're there yet. I mean, best-case scenario, uh, I, I think we're still an off-season away from from really contending i think we'll go a bit further this year i think you know the divisional round or maybe even further than that is is you know the ceiling for this team but uh they, they're not contenders yet there's there's still too many holes there's too many depth issues they have a lot of stuff to figure out but if the last two off seasons uh are anything to go by um i i think they'll they'll get there pretty quick i do think it's curious they didn't take any off-ball linebackers, I thought they would have for sure, because Brooks is injured. Bobby, Bobby's Bobby, like Bobby's great. You know, it's not because Bobby was always really fast that made him great. Like Bobby's always going to be a great player, but he's not. You know, he has lost a step for sure. Um, and then uh, Devin Bush is a total gamble. So if if Brooks isn't healthy, and then Devin Bush doesn't work out. What the hell are they going to do? Um. So yeah, I think I think they're they're at least an off season away. Yeah, that's another reason why the line the running back thing was also kind of kind of iffy too in the second round. They just had other needs. Although I don't I, I didn't track linebackers that well, um, but I think like I think Dayon would have been a good fit. Not just because I went to watch the state, but like I do think like he was getting like a good good fit for what they want to do as like an off ball guy, maybe not Mike, maybe like a weak side, uh, cover, more coveragey um, linebacker project. Um, I think he went to the chargers a couple of picks later. Um, yep. So yeah. And then I don't know where Trenton Simpson, the Clemson went. I feel, I see, I view Trenton's, I think he went to the Ravens, but I view yep. Trenton and, and Dayon in the same kind of spaces. Like what they could have fit with the Seahawks needed as long as the medical and stuff checked out um, both of them. I thought they would It'd be interesting to see how those guys perform. Uh, as well but after that after like wherever day on went like pick 65 or something after that though i don't think it was worth taking any off ball guys so but i think it was earlier so that that all plays into why i wasn't a big fan of the 
running back pick. We'll see, though. Maybe running the ball matters. It's score 40. It doesn't matter who your linebackers are. <laughs> no, that is it. That is it. But look, listen, no matter what happened with the picks, whether we agree with them or not, I think we are all in agreement. We are delighted we don't have a player on the roster that puts mayo in his coffee. <laughs> a thousand percent. He came out saying like that was a that was a joke, guys. I don't actually do that. No, you do that. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Is there a video of him doing it or something? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah, there's a video. Like... Was... Did he drink the coffee in the he... video? Yeah. Yeah, oh. he was on like I think he was he was getting interviewed by like a news station and the rumor came up and they had coffee and mayo there and puts it in, drinks in. It's like, yeah, this is good. This is fine. This is a totally normal thing to do. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see. But <laughs> oh, that's bad. Yeah. No wonder he's that's crazy. <laughs> that would. already enough to have a Duke's Mayo Bowl where they dump mayo on the winning coach, which is crass. Not a winning. That's not a reward. But yeah, <laughs> I think a... I think that's why he went in the second round. As coaches saw that, and were like, oh, all right. Yeah, they, they knew his his his, uh, his diet was gonna be fucked at the next level. <laughs> if that's he's showing up to OTAs full of fucking caffeine, <laughs> that's disgusting. Well, like if he's smart, like when DK got drafted, uh, he obviously talked to him, which he like Nesquik and Nesquik sponsored him. He's gonna want to get onto like Hellman's or something now. Will Levis and be like, you need a sponsor, you need to be a uh, need to be sponsoring me there now. After all of this. Start making some money outside of football for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. They should have all the sponsorship, yeah. even if you don't eat or drink that shit. I don't think half these athletes eat or drink. Too much. Yeah, it's like I'm Mahomes has made a fortune off putting ketchup on the steak. Yeah, he probably not. Or even like, well, I just saw a commercial. I think Russell Wilson has like a Subway deal. I don't think Russ eats Subway. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure. Which. Yeah, Russ not eating that shit. Russ has a personal chef. His <laughs> 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 certain chef makes sandwiches, but they're not DoorDash in some way. Right? It's his mansion in Colorado. Right? No, they're part of a chef in there. You know, but, you know, it's probably, it's, oh, the word I'm thinking was Steph Curry. I think Steph also has a Subway deal. But his wife is a chef, and I'm pretty sure he has a chef. Um, so, uh, I'm yeah. Anyway, that's a tangent. But yeah, I, if I was these guys, these guys, I'd market the fuck out of everything, even if I don't eat or <laughs> drink it. That just, I just get me a bag. Yeah, for sure. Look, guys, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up the edition of the show here. I really appreciate the time you've taken to speak to us. Um, like I said, said really big fan of the podcast and obviously uh, of your work, and um, Mike as well. Unfortunately, we don't get um the radio show over here that you guys do. Um. Uh, when you did last year so hopefully hopefully you make a, a visit to Ireland sometime uh, maybe next time we're in London you take a, a little detour over to Dublin and uh, we'll celebrate with a few uh, a few points of the good stuff That'd be I'm, great. All, I'm all for that last part for sure <laughs> yeah because <laughs> <laughs> so remember you you kind of like uh, sort of the, the the craft sort of side of beers as well you're kind of a fan of that Mike as well are you? Yeah, although um, the Ger- the Germany beer selection was not very vast. It was just like it had a light one and they had a dark one, and it came in a big ass glass, and that was <laughs> it was about it. It was all it was. You have to, but yeah, it, I, you I, have I, to find I, the right places. If if you go like most of the places you were around, probably just had like two vice beers on top, and that was all they had. That was yeah, that's that's what it felt. I mean, I drank yeah. them just fine, but yeah. um, it was uh, yeah, it was it was. I expected like a full on, like uh, what's the what's the ceremony over? Not ceremony, but like the um, the joint Oktoberfest. That, yeah, Oktoberfest. Like, cause we got a version of that over here in um in the Seattle area, in around the same time. And there's tons of beers there, and everyone's you know dressed up like they over there in Germany. It's a Brazilian beers over there. Go to, get up, get actually to Munich, and it's like I get to choose from like two in every bar. Um, so yeah, I maybe I just got to get out a little bit more. Uh, sure, look, listen, you have two tour guides here waiting for you for the best points, so you will not be messed around, you know. Top it off with a couple of whiskeys, then after the proper decent whiskeys there too. And, you know, listen, we, we won't even know what football is by the end of the night. Don't even worry about it. 
<laughs> but like I said, really appreciate the time, guys. Um, hope you enjoy the rest of the off season. Get a bit of time off, maybe uh, go somewhere or just even just relax. And uh, like I said, I'm looking forward to to next season already. Appreciate, appreciate you having us, man. Thanks, guys. No problem. Al, as always, thank you so much. Thank you. Always, always great to chat, Seahawks, and I'm excited now. I can't wait for the season. Be looking for any bit of news now. That's what it is, and we'll have plenty of shows to speak about any sort of news that comes up. So just make sure you subscribe to the Under Center podcast. That's where you get all the Irish Seahawks shows. Subscribe to the guys' podcast as well. Seahawks man to man. Uh, the two is the number two, and that's where you find them. Listen to them. They're also on YouTube as well. Subscribe to them there. Um, and also make sure you read uh, Mike's work in The Athletic as well for all things Seahawks. But like I said, that's where we're going to wrap up this edition of the show. Thank you very much for tuning in. And until next time, stay safe, and we'll see you soon.